little songwriter said, we're reaping the harvest. God promised us. Reaping the harvest. You know that song works two ways. Because you, you reap what you sow. Somebody ought to hear me on this now. I, why you say that, Reverend Sparks? Well, because we're reaping some things that I'm not so certain we realized we were going to sow. Two things st stood out to me this week. They were significant. One is an article in AL.com, our local newspaper online, interviewed by the police chief addressing the fact that we've had a 22% increase in homicide in our community, 22%. Might not mean anything to you until you start counting the people who are dying as a result of this increase. And I can tell you without a doubt, I'm not gonna say 100%, but I'm gonna say 85 to 90% of them are African-American males who are dying in our community. Killing out a certain demographic, teenage to the early to late 20s are being killed. We will reap that. We are sowing that into our community down the road when that generation of young men should be stepping up and leading, there will be a void there at some point. That makes it much more difficult for the ones who are still around. But then I saw yesterday evening, I was blessed enough to go to an event that we don't talk about in the newspaper. We don't celebrate this enough. And I honestly believe that there's more of this going on than the 22% spike in homicide. I went to an event yesterday. It was a, it's called a trunk party. It was a preparation for a young man to go off to college. Community was there. Family, friends were there. And I watched a young man who's in that demographic stand up and hold the entire audience wrapped as he spoke extemporaneously without notes for about 20, 25 minutes, working the room, thanking everybody who had been a part of his life and his upbringing, calling them by name, specifically talking about what they had done to him. And you say, well, he was raised in an environment where, you know, that was expected of him. This is true. But he also came from a, what we would consider a disadvantaged background. Yeah, he was, he came into this world to a mother who had some disability. But for the fact that her family wrapped their arms around them, we wouldn't be having that event yesterday. Which, draw, which drew a lot of tears from the folk in the room. Because we remember how it all started. 
and the fact that he's now on his way to Morehouse College. The fact that he had, the fact that he could sit there and put us in our place and chastise us because we keep telling him, make sure you make the right friends. Make sure you hang out with the right folks. He told us yesterday, my best friend is the valedictorian of the class. He said, I'm pretty good at picking friends. <laughs> His best friend is going to Harvard. But you and I know that life ain't that simple. You and I know that our kids who do well can find themselves in situations that can spin in a second. That's why we struggle. And that's why you ought to stay on your knees interceding before the Lord with these kids when they go off because it's not just the ones doing wrong that get in trouble and get caught up. It's the ones doing right too. So pray for them. They live a little bit closer to the edge than we ever did. Most of y'all thought y'all were just doing something wrong when y'all smoked a little weed, drank a little beer and something. But now they live in a lifestyle that glorifies that that tries to normalize that, that brings that into their everyday existence. And no matter what we say, that lifestyle borders criminality all day long. So you're always closer than you used to be. So pray for them. I see a couple of our students in here today who are getting ready in the next week or so. I don't know if we'll be back in church before they go off to school, but I want to celebrate Jessica and I want to celebrate Christian before they go off to the big old world of college. I also want to celebrate the ones who are going back to school who've already knocked out a freshman or sophomore year and maybe juniors this year. They they so ready to get back home. Big get back to school, but they're no they're no more ready than their parents are ready for them to go back. Yes. Continue to do well on this. Um and then I'm going to say this to you, to the ones who are starting out in school, I say this to all the kids. The fact that they let you in the school means you have what it takes to get out. All right? They wouldn't let you in if they didn't think you could get out. But getting in and getting out, there's a whole lot of work that has to be done between those things, and the hard work is yours. But you can get out if you don't get distracted. Whole lot of folk right now, 20 years past the distractions that stopped them from getting out of school. Don't be in that space. Got a golden opportunity. We started a sermon series last week that we entitled Knowing God. Knowing, knowing God. And I thought it was time that we had a discussion, discourse, some teaching, preaching on having a deeper personal relationship with the Lord. Um, some of us, because of the circumstances of life, get to know God in a, in a personal way. And some of us don't. Some of us don't. We all can. And you don't have to go through tragedy to get to know God better. You don't have to go through negative circumstances. In fact, it can be completely positive. You can, you can self-study, self-direct, self-meditate to get to a closer relationship with the Lord, if you desire to do that. And I'm giving you some examples of people who have gotten to know the Lord in better ways. 
And when you do, you learn a different character or a different aspect of who God is. We can't know who God is unless he shows it to us. And he has, through his holy word, through his holy writ, shown us the different characteristics of his personality. And so over the next few weeks, we'll go through, we'll go through those, we'll go through those very um, specific characteristics, and we'll meet some of the people who got to know him up close and personal that way. Last week, last week we had the uh, opportunity to talk to him, I mean, to learn about him being El Shaddai. El Shaddai. Yeah. El Shaddai. We learned that he is the Almighty. We learn the characteristics of him being El Shaddai. We also learn that as El Shaddai, his relationship with various people was manifested by the circumstances of their life. And specifically, we talked about three individuals who got to know him. We talked about Abraham, we talked about uh, Ruth, and we talked about Job and how they got to know the Lord is El Shaddai. This week, we want to turn to a different characteristic of him. We want to learn him in a different way. We're going to go right back to the very beginning of the Bible. You can't get any, you can't start any further back in the Bible than we're going to start today because the beginning verse for this one is Genesis 1 and 1. We want to see how God comes on the scene of creation and introduces himself unto us. Because there's much to be learned about who he is and much to be understood and appreciated about how he can be in your life. If you just go back to the very first line in the Bible, and, and it simply says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, in the original text, the name that's used for God is Elohim. Elohim. So let me let me read it for you and replace the the uh, the, the the term God that I use with the name that He gave us. And it simply reads: In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Let me finish reading the passage. She said, "Now the earth was formless and empty." Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the spirit of Elohim was hovering over the waters. And Elohim said, let there be light. And there was light. Elohim saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. And Elohim called the light day, and the darkness he called night. Elohim. Elohim. Last week when we started talking to you about these names, we refer immediately to the very first one that we introduced you to, El Shaddai. We told you um, the power of the term El means strong. Means strong. And here we are again. God introduces himself right off the bat as a strong something. What does this Ohim mean? Ohim. Well, it must be important because the term Elohim is used over 2,500 times in the Bible. God continues to tell us, this is who I am. 
over 2,500 times. And in fact, it's used over 32 times in Genesis alone. Most scholars think that um, in addition to this L term um, deriving from the mean, from meaning strong, they specifically know that the term that's being referenced with Ohim is creator. All right? The maker. So the creator God, which means if we put both of those together, El with Ohim, we are talking about a strong, strong creator. We remember that he is the one who is creatively powerful. He is completely sovereign, which means he doesn't have to answer to anyone other than himself. Many of us would like sovereignty. That means we don't have to answer to nobody. We don't have to have a committee meeting for anything. We are completely in charge. Watch this now. Let's see if I can make this practical for you. The reason why we are involved in a conflict right now with Russia and Ukraine is because Russia invaded a sovereign country. Russia shouldn't have had anything to do with what was happening in the Ukraine. And so they violated their sovereignty. And that you see what happens when you do that. That results in conflict. In this instance, it's war. People are dying because they're trying to protect what's theirs. Well, God is sovereign. Nobody can challenge him because he's the one, even though you and I try to challenge him all the time. Yeah, we, we challenge his God with our God. And our God is us. We try to invade the territory that is uniquely his by trying to be in charge of something. And so he's completely sovereign, but he's also gloriously great. Yeah. Yeah. There are four things that I want to try to pull out for you and get out your way concerning who Elohim is. Four things. If you understand, I think these four foundational things, then you'll understand who he is a little bit better. The book of Genesis gets its name from the Hebrew, Hebrew word, which means beginnings. That's what Genesis means. It's the battleground of many of the culture wars we have today. A whole lot of the stuff that's going on in our community has to do with the fact, watch this, that many people will not accept the Bible's version of how the world started. And this is dispositive. This is crucial in your faith walk. If you can't believe what's in Genesis, then you're going to struggle with what's in the rest of the writ. If you can't believe that in the beginning it was God and God alone, then you're going to have trouble dealing with what God created after that. And that's the struggle that we're having right now. And people have created whole careers in challenging the first line of the Bible. They go to college, mama, daddy, you better make sure they got a good foundation on what they believe and who they believe.
because they're going to sit in Mr. Wasnowski's uh, 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 philosophy class, and he's going to tell them that what they believe from this Bible cannot be true because this philosopher said it and this philosopher said it, and he's going to challenge the very belief they have about whether or not God is sovereign. I don't tell you what I've heard. I'm telling you what I know and what I experienced. I'm telling you what I know and experienced after coming out of 17 years of sitting in every kind of service at First Missionary Baptist Church in Boston, and it was not challenged publicly until I sat in that philosophy class at UAB. And I don't know what that man's background was. All I know is he gave us an exam. One of my answers on the exam was that God was triune, and that he was Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I didn't even need to come to his class to put that answer on the test. I'd gotten that in every Sunday school, everything I'd heard, every preacher stood up. And that man took points off my exam, on my answer. And he said, in red, now, you know, when they write in red, they serious. I made an A on the exam. One of the few I made it. But anyway, but made an A on this exam. But this man had to take the time to tell me that what I wrote was illogical. He wrote illogical to think that one being could be three. Took points off my exam. So I can't tell you. Now, if that mattered to me, fortunately, fortunately, I got to a place where I could accept that. But I'm going to tell you this, too. I was weak in my faith then. Oh, yeah. I was weak. I had not bought into the complete vision of what church was at 16. In fact, what I saw, I was struggling, which means the enemy had an opening. And if the right charismatic person had come in and give me what I thought was something reasonable, who knows how I would have turned. That's just the truth. You got to make sure. Now I lay me ain't going to be enough. You know, thank you for the food we eat. Ain't going to be enough. They need to know for themselves and have a relationship for themselves or else they're going to be subject to some other influences. And so knowing that verse 1 of Genesis is in fact the foundation of all our faith system is critical. It's critical to our understanding of who God is. God calls himself Elohim. This is not a nickname somebody gave him. This is what he says about himself. He said, I am Elohim. The first thing you got to know about that is Elohim is eternal. Is eternal. I was asking the Lord to give me some examples that I could make real for you. And when I studied this aspect of him being eternal, the first thing that came to mind is that most of these young folk 
can't tell you a whole lot about the Bible, but they can tell you about the Marvel Universe. Or they can tell you about the Marvel Universe and they can tell you about all of the superheroes who emanate from the Marvel Universe. But I guarantee you they can't tell you who started the Marvel Universe. I guarantee you they can't tell you where it started. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and step out and tell you the first thing they're going to tell you, oh, it was, it was started by Stan Lee. Wrong. No, it wasn't. Marvel Universe is the creation of a man who simply started in 1939 a publishing company. Everyone in the Marvel Universe is the creation of that man or the folk he hired since that time. Every one of them came from that publishing company. Now, it evolved over the years until it got to the place where it's now the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But there is nothing that emanated or was even in existence before 1939. And yet, look at the global reach of the Marvel Universe. You can go anywhere in the world and people have heard of the characters in the Marvel Universe. And they can not only tell you about them, they can tell you their origin story. They can tell you who their children are. They can tell you who their boyfriend and girlfriends are. They can tell you every single thing about the Marvel Universe and it ain't even real. In fact, the Marvel Universe could disappear tomorrow and it wouldn't change anybody's life in terms of health. Of course, people would lose jobs who work in that industry. But it's not real. And here I come and I tell you something that's objectively, absolutely real. And people have a harder time believing in the beginning God than they do about the Hulk. <laughs> than they do about any of the characters. Oh, yeah. Spider-Man. They can tell you every one of Spider-Man's characters. Yeah, they know who Peter Parker's aunt is. Know every bit of it. But if you ask them who Elohim is, they don't know it. A few years ago, some scientists were trying to uh, identify origins of life. And so they fed into, and, and let me go back and say this about Marvel. I, I watch that stuff too. But I'm mature, I'm mature enough to put it in its place. All right, I'm talking about those who aren't mature enough to separate fact from what is truly fiction. But a few years ago, some scientists were trying to decipher, as we have since the beginning of mankind, the origin of life. So they fed into this big supercomputer um, where did the earth come from? And I guarantee you right now, somebody in here Googling it. I saw you. Yeah, you're Googling it right now. Let me tell you what's going to come up right now because it's, 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 a, it's a falsity now. First time they did it, Google wasn't calibrated. <laughs> All right. And the first time they did it, when it was just pulling raw data, they pushed the button, and of course, great anticipation, whirly gig, beep, beep, beeps, out pops the answer. 
And this is the answer that came out of the computer. All right. First thing, in the beginning, God. That's, that's of all the information that had been put into that computer for data, raw data, the computer, the computer calculated that the answer to the beginning of earth was in the beginning, God. And what that shows you is that the time they put in all that information, the outsized presence of religion. Now, if you pull it up, now if you pull it up, I guarantee you, I know because I did it, what comes up is a scientific answer. And they start talking about the Big Bang Theory. And they start talking about quantum physics. And they start talking about all these other things because that's because you do realize that you can manipulate what comes up on Google. Oh, yeah. If you own a restaurant and you want folk to get your restaurant when it, they Google it, you can manipulate it so that your name comes up. Yeah, that's easy to do right now. That's not, that's not even hard. And so those who were not of the faith make sure that in the beginning, God did not come up. I assure you the problem with that is this. Most people, when they want to know where did the earth start, are going to go to Google before they come to 45th Street. Or before they come to anybody else's church. It ain't got to be Baptist. They're not going to come to church to get the answer. They're going to go to Google. And Google is a problem right now because Google was, again, created by man and has a specific purpose. Genesis 1 and 1 is simple. Declaration was, and, and, and God is, is can, I, can I use this term? It's a, it's, a, it's a human term. God is arrogant in his presentation. Yeah, but it's not arrogance because that's something we are, and it implies pride. But God comes in simply and states a fact that cannot be challenged. He simply states he exists and he started it. He doesn't provide an explanation for where he comes from. He doesn't say how he started. You know why? Because he doesn't have to. He's God. I don't have to tell you anything. You know, we get arrogant with our children when they ask us something. We say, because I say so. The only one it really applies to is the Lord. He can say, because I'm God. And who are you to challenge me on what I'm saying right now? E.V. Hill. Famous Baptist preacher said some years ago at a Promise Keepers rally camp, he stood up and for 40 minutes, he had the entire Promise Keepers rally enthralled. And he spoke on a simple topic. He simply said, Theophilus, God is. And he said it so many different ways. So many different inflections that he preached to them on the simple thought that God is. Now, now, some of the old folk might not understand this, but the young folk will get this. Let's go back to the Marvel coming uh, uh, universe. And there is a character on there whose name is Groot. They know him. He's a little tree character. 
and he never says anything except one statement. It doesn't matter what happens. All he ever says is, I am Groot. That's all. And no matter the circumstance that happens, he can be happy. He can say, I am Groot. He can be sad. He said, I am Groot. But that's all he ever said. And all E.V. Hill said that day was, God is. In so many different ways, God absolutely is. God is everything. God is all. God is omnipresent. You can put anything after God is. And it's only because God is that that's possible. And so God is eternal is what I want you to understand. He always has been. He always will be. There's no one who can ever come back and give you the origin story of God except God. And he hasn't seen fit to let us know where he started because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So aren't you glad that you can put your trust, your faith in one who always was? There's nothing that has ever existed in the world and on earth that God didn't allow or start. And you can also be confident that nothing ever will happen that God won't allow to happen. Nothing. He'll be here today. You need him. He'll be here tomorrow. Why? Because we know he was here all our yesterday. And so you should know the first thing is that God is eternal. Second thing is this creationism, which is a concept, is right. It's correct. Creationism is correct. Genesis 1 and 1b. Because God alone is eternal, that which is created is not. And there's no man who's ever lived forever. There won't ever be a man who can live forever. No matter how great he is, there's no woman who can ever live forever. The creation cannot outlast the creator. No matter what we come up with scientifically, you can't find no kind of stone. You can't find no elixir. You can't find no incantation that will allow you to live forever. It simply won't happen. The Bible says that God created the heavens and the earth. The Hebrew word for create implies that he created it out of nothing. Out of nothing. In other words, there was nothing there, and God, in his eminent ability, made something out of nothing. The, the, the way we've grown to say it is there was design made out of disorder. There was, there was that the Lord took from chaos, and he created what we know as cosmos. Yeah, he took the blackness of nothing and he made the celestial picture that we see now with the stars and the and the and the moon and the and the and the planets. And not only did he make them, he put them in an orbit. Y'all, y'all, y'all need to help me on this. And he put them in place 
such that they continue to be in place all these thousands of years later. And in fact, they are so perfect in their timing that the very time we know of is fixed based on their movement. They never get out of line. How do I know this? Because every day of your life, the sun comes up. Every night of your life, the moon takes its place. And this has happened for generation after generation. And there's nothing man can do except study it. Man can't alter it. Man can't do anything to adjust the time. Anything that we create is wrong if it's not in line with that. That's how dynamic God is. And no one can challenge what he's put in place. No, 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 no. Nobody can challenge it. He made the stars. He created the creatures in the sea. So many of them that every week they find a new one. After all these years, they think they've been out there fishing. They overfished all the tuna, all the sand. They overfished, and then they turn around and some fishermen pull up something. I ain't never seen this before. Made all the wild animals. Maybe there is a Bigfoot. Who knows? God can make whoever he wants, he can do whatever he wants to do. All I know is he said in scripture, he said, now Moses wrote this because God told him, write this down, Moses. Moses sat down and did a chronology of God creating everything. And the Bible says that God sat back and did his own review, his own Yelp review. The creation story, God said it is very good. What he's done wasn't no accident. But the first thing that God wanted us to know about him, the first thing in the Bible is that he's the creator. You ought to take solace in that. Yeah, let me, let me tell you why that's important. Step into this. The reason why you ought to take solace in it is because if God can take nothing and make something out of it, that means he can take the life that you think is nothing and make something out of your life. Yeah, he can make you into something. He can make you into something that's never been before. You don't have to judge yourself about what's already in existence because God can make it all brand new. In fact, when he gets through making you into what he wants you to be, focused, step back and say, we ain't never seen that before. Why? Because God made it. Now, if you go by and you let man make you, all man can ever make you into is what man has ever seen. Yeah. God, a man doesn't have a pool of creation like God does. All man ever has is what's been created before. He still has to stick his hand in what God made bucket in order to make something out of it. Now, he might stick his hand deeper in the bucket than some folks have seen. I know I'm right about it. Let me tell you this. I don't care how new the fashions are right now. The fashions that folk wear. Ain't no new fashions. All right, there may be some fashions we haven't seen in decades. Oh, it won't be long before they come back and men wearing ruffles on their dress suits. It ain't going to be long because that was a fashion. And somebody's going to run out of new stuff to come up with. 
and they're going to have men in dress suits wearing ruffles under the sleeve like they used to. They got away from that. It's simply going to evolve into that again. You know why? Because we have a limit to our creativity. And we go back into, into the bucket. I promise you the stuff that y'all wearing today, we wore in the 70s. Wedge heels ain't new. Ain't new. Wide tie skinny leg jeans ain't new. Holes in your jeans ain't new. Only problem is we used to buy jeans, wear holes into them. Not patch them up and wear it like that. And that was considered radical. Somebody somewhere got smart and decided they were just going to tear them up before y'all buy them and charge y'all more for it. And y'all foolish enough to pay all that money for it. If you wear jeans long enough, you'll have holes in them. You ain't got to pay for that. Yeah. Lee Strobel Lee Strobel wrote a book called The Case for the Creative. He's a famous reporter. He was an atheist. He was a non-believer. He didn't have any problems, but he was also an investigative reporter. And his book, The Case for the Creative, he started exploring all the all the evolution evidence, all the evidence for evolution, the theory behind it. And he says, as soon as he started exploring it in his investigative way, it quickly rotted away as not being sustainable. Yeah. He said, he said, he just couldn't find anything to any of those evolutionary stories that were supported over the long haul. And yet, Educational system after educational system continues to push this as a theory, particularly ones that are not Southern-based. Now, Southern-based, they got no problem pulling the Bible out. But I, I implore you to be careful with that as well. <laughs> All right? That, that, you might think that's in your wheelhouse, but that comes with its own issues. We got to be careful with that. Say, so I wish I had time to share all the exciting developments that have come about in the world of science, as scientists are now discovering what the Bible has been telling us for years. They discovered, the scientists have discovered, you ought to say, really? Yeah, the scientists have discovered that there's no other scientific explanation but the fact that the universe was created by an intelligent designer. All right? That the notion that it simply came out of chaos does not hold up. The notion that there was a big bang theory that suddenly happened and everything that we know of came into existence. And that's never been in opposite to the Bible. We too subscribe to the big bang theory because the Bible said the Lord spoke bang. That's the bang right there. And everything came into existence. But I want, I, want, I want you to ask yourself, if you've never seen pictures of DNA, you tell me who but an intelligent design can create something as specific as that. Tell me how anybody 
could put a strain within your internal being that allows everybody in a family to have red hair for generation after generation after generation. And then he'll get smart on us and skip a generation. And then the next folk will come out and have that same red strain. Everybody in the family can sing. Now, you can't tell me that's just talent. That everybody knows how to sing. Some of it is. You hang around enough folk who cook. You learn how to cook a little bit. You can learn that. But for generation after generation, God has allowed some people to have some abilities that the world can't give them. Some children have been born in families. They've never sat at a piano before, and yet everybody in their previous generations can be musically inclined. That child can sit down and without ever having been taught a note, play. Who can create that but, but God? Who can create those situations that defy our thinking? DNA evidence has shown time and time again, and if you get right down to it, I should have put it up right down to the helix in the DNA. And you take a picture of it, it's been amazing that it's in the form of a cross. <laughs> it's in the form. Anyway, nobody can do that but God. And how do we know that this is valid? How do we know? Well, we know it because in the beginning God was, and you got to have faith in it. The evidence of, anthropo of anthropology and tropic principles are throughout. That means human-like principles are throughout all of creation. But God is the one who made the human. And so how do you put those things in place? It says that the physical structure of the universe is exactly what it's got to be. In other words, you can't move the planets out of line because if you do, nothing operates the way it should. It's exactly where it is. So who holds all that in place? What holds all that in place? What creator keeps that in place? The evidence of cosmology points out that whatever begins to exist must have a, an origin. It doesn't just come into being. Something or someone, we say someone, had to start that. I I'm trying to make you understand that your faith is built on the foundation that is more solid than anything you've ever known. You don't have to question who God is. God is. And because God is, we can have faith in that. Uh, 1968, I was four years old. It's a hard year. Hard year. The United States had been through a lot in 1968. We lost two great leaders that year. The nation was hurting and was reeling. We lost Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. through assassination in 1968. And we lost, and we lost um, Bobby Kennedy through assassination that year. He was attorney general. He was running for the president. He was running for the Democratic nomination for presidency. And because of this and the fact that the backdrop to all this happening was the Vietnam War, the country was hurting because our young men of the AIDS that are being killed on the streets of the United States right now were being snatched out of the United States through the draft and sent to a country to fight a war that they didn't understand. 
you got to understand the turmoil that existed in 1968. And it's really hard for me to paint a picture for you today in this present context because we have so much communication with one another now. You hear everything, but the only time we would hear things at that point is when it came on the nightly news or somebody printed it in the newspaper or maybe it came on the radio. We didn't have constant communication. Believe it or not, we would get up and leave the house in the morning and not have any communication with anybody in our family until we got back home that evening. And so anything that could happen, we wouldn't know. If you got a call from somebody while you were away in 1968, it must have been urgent. Then nobody just called and said, how you doing today? That didn't, you didn't do that. The communication didn't exist like that. And so imagine on Christmas Eve with all of this backdrop going on. Imagine on Christmas Eve with Kennedy being assassinated and King being assassinated and the Vietnam War going on. And previously, there had been massive protests at the Democratic National Convention. I mean, it had gotten to the point where they had to call the National Guard in because it was so awful, because people were protesting the Vietnam War. The country was unsettled, much like it was a couple of summers ago with the Black Lives Matter movement. The country was up in arms. That's what we were dealing with. And then comes a place where we can have an interlude, Christmas Eve. Christmas always has a way. You typically had a way of calming things down. Here we are on Christmas Eve. And you can't imagine this now. But the biggest thing that was going on is something we don't even pay attention to now. And that was the fact that there was a spaceship that had been launched from the United States called the Apollo 8 Orbiter. And it was launched and was circling the Earth. And this orbiter, this, or, this orbiter had three astronauts in it. And what's interesting about this is that the, the country sat at its television stage, sat at its TVs in its living room, because that's where they were, listened to the radio. These were the mediums that we had. And on Christmas Eve, 1968, Apollo 8 seemed to save the country that year from all the bad that had been going on. And I got an actual transmission of what we heard from Apollo 8. Back on Earth, the crew of Apollo 8 Turn it has up, a message please. that we would like to send to you. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. That morning, if you didn't hear what they said, that morning as the entire world listened and watched, as that orbiter circled the moon and came into view of the earth, the thing that they thought appropriate to tell the rest of the world, not just the United States, was to remind them Genesis 1 and 1. In the beginning. In other words, when you're that far away, it reminds you of how small you are. And it also reminds you of how large 
God is and the spectacular thing that God did. And so here we have them validating to the world that the most significant thing to remember is that God created all of it. 32 million people were listening to that broadcast that morning. Might not seem big in 2022, but I guarantee you in 1968, it was huge. It was huge. And so the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. The heavens do. They declare that God, God is. And so not only is God eternal, not only is creationism true, guess what? The Trinity is true too. Oh yeah, God is a triune God. God is a triune God. The I am on Elohim is a plural suffix. That means it implies that God is not just singular, but he's also plural, which is why we always say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The older folks you say Holy Ghost. But the Holy Spirit, a triune God, even though he's triune or they are triune, we often refer to him singular. It's simply God. But make no bones about it, at every significant stop in Scripture, God reminds us that it's Father, Son, and Holy Ghost at the baptism. We saw Father, Son, and Holy Ghost at the baptism. We saw, we saw it right there. We saw God descend on, on, on Jesus in the form of a dove as the Holy Spirit. We heard God speak audibly from heaven. Of course, Jesus was standing there being baptized, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And, and when Jesus left this earth, he left so in the power of the triune God. He left so going, letting folk know that it wasn't just him, but it was also his father and the Holy Ghost. I'm going to my father, but I'm not going to leave you without somebody. He let them know that it's always all of us working for your good. And even though I can't stand here this morning and develop the concept of the Trinity like it ought to be uh, developed, you need to know that when we're talking about God, when we're talking about Elohim, we're talking about three in, in, in one. Trinity is true. And last but not least, the very fact that we're dealing with God who is the creator, and this is most important, I think, for your purposes. You need to know that every single person that God has ever created has a purpose. Every single one of us has a purpose. I know we get to a place that we discount folks. I know we might even get arrogant enough to think that we're better than some folks. But the same God that created you, created them. You might not understand their worth. You may not understand what God intends for them to do. They may not have even come here equipped with everything that God gave you. You need to teach your children the sensitivity to understand that God didn't give every child the sense that he gave you. Every child didn't have the background that you have. Every child hadn't had the resources that you have. You ought to be grateful to God that you have the opportunities that you have, but you can't look down on somebody else because they don't have those things because even though he might not have given them those things, he gave them something else. You got to teach children to be compassionate enough about that. And first, you got to be compassionate about it. And so let them know that every flower that has a spring came from God. 
Every bee that's got a buzz came from God. Every bird that's got a melody came from God. Every star that's ever twinkled came from God. Every mountain that's got a peak. Every hill that has a valley under it came from God. Every tree that's got a trunk. Every fish that's in the sea. Every fly that ever flew. Every drop of morning dew. All of it came from the Lord. Every mind that's had a thought. Every day that ever broke. Every night that's ever fallen. Every breath we've ever taken. Every, every nose that's ever run. Came from God. Came from God. Every toad has got a nail, every hair on every head, every blade of grass, every flake of snow, every drop of rain, every grain of sand, every man of every race, every country, and every place, every one of them came from the Lord. God did not make any disposable people. God didn't make anybody that does not have worth and value, and it's our job to celebrate them in the way that we can and support them in the ways they can't support themselves. And if you've gotten to a place in life where you understand that God is, you ought to set about telling somebody else that he is and making sure they understand. If you also understand that God is, then you ought to also understand why he wanted to have a relationship with you. And as we learn that we fractured our relationship with him, we messed it up. It wasn't him, it was us. We messed up our relationship. And the whole balance of the Bible has been about us getting back in right relationship with the Lord. The entire balance of it has been about him giving us chance after chance after chance. And then he saw we couldn't get it together. Like any good parent, when he sees that his child can't get it together, he fixes it for you. And the way God fixed this for us was by sending us his only begotten son. You say, I know you can't do it yourself, so I'm going to send you somebody. I'm going to show you somebody who can do it. And the son didn't think it robbery to leave the highest halls of heaven and come down here and walk on the dusty streets of earth with us. He didn't think that was robbery. He came down here and he walked with us. He talked with us. He taught us. He fed us. And he showed us how to be good folks. And the same God who loved us enough to create us, who loved us enough to send his only begotten son, allowed cruel men to kill him. But he wasn't through with it. Because he's God. He can create something out of what we think is nothing. And when they took him and they put him into that tomb that was borrowed, the same God played one more hand on him. He reached down into that grave and he picked up his son. And he put life in him. Life eternal. And what he showed us in that was the same pathway that my son took to eternal life with me you too can have that same trip. All I'm asking you to do is believe in him. But first, you got to believe in the beginning that God created everything. Maybe today is the first day you've heard about this. I, I realize these stories aren't easy. I'm sorry I can't sit down and tell you a bedtime story and it's easy and you fall asleep. No, some of these, these stories are waking up. They're not going to sleep stories. All right? You need to walk with them. And you need to know about them. And you need to share with somebody else. Because that's what's wrong with the world right now. We need more folk who know that in the beginning God created everything. Guess whose job that is? It ain't just a preacher. It's your job to tell somebody. So have you told somebody? Do you know it? If you just found out about it today, I invite you to become a part of the family that Jesus Christ created. Family of Christ the body of Christ.
as the leaders of our church come and welcome you, the doors of our church are wide open. Whosoever will, let them come right now. We'll baptize, show the world that you believe. Maybe you've already got a church family. Today is the day for you to come and to join ours and learn the fellowship with us. I invite you to be a part of us. Whosoever will, let them come right now.